We're about to get freaky on this Friday. Actually, wait, just kidding. It's literally not Friday for you guys. It's Monday, but I'm recording on Friday. So I guess it would be, we're about to get manic on this Monday together. <laughs> Hi guys. Welcome back to another episode of crime with a K. My name is Kelsey. I'm your host. And I really hope that you guys enjoyed the last video. Again, I am sorry about some of the audio. I'm actually going today to get my computer fixed. So hopefully they can figure out um, whatever it is, whatever, whatever happened, whatever went wrong, they can figure it out. They can do it. They can handle it. And then we can move forward as a team with good audio. But, um, so just before I actually do jump into anything, I just want to preface that today's case is really heavy. And I feel like I don't say that very often because I feel like I can handle quite a quite a bit to be honest the ones I can't handle are like stalking and really that's kind of it but this one this one's really sad for so many different things and it's really heavy and just the details are really gory and gruesome and it's overall just such a sad case so I do want to preface that that if you're not in the mood for that today there is um suicide there's mental health um just you know, things like that that take place in today's case. But okay, so on a lighter note, now that we've provided that, the coffee of the day, the COTD. So last episode, I did peanut butter banana, favorite iced coffee, favorite coffee to have. But today I have, it's stiff competition, a venti iced coffee unsweetened with three pumps of pistachio and a little bit of oat milk with an espresso shot from starbucks it costs seven dollars it has no business costing seven dollars but it is so good it's so good and i'm actually newly a pistachio person as of january i used to always get um white chocolate mocha but then my sister texted me and was like and let me put you on. You need to go get pistachio. And thank God, because it is so good. I, I haven't tried anything else. Pistachio, like I haven't tried pistachio ice cream or anything like that. So I don't know if I'd like it, but a pistachio sauce from Starbucks. <gasps> oh, so good. Um, and then also, I think what I want to do just kind of starting the episodes, like obviously I want to do the coffee, but then since it is just me and I'm like talking to myself, if I don't have a guest on, I kind of just want to tell you like, something that good happened during the week or something funny that happened like I don't know what to call it because I don't want it to be like oh like my good of the week or like what made me happy but I think I just want to do like something just something else so that way you guys can like get to know me and and before cases like this you know hear something on a positive note so I think my positive of the week would have to be what is it I invested in the revolution toaster which is a smart toaster 
which a lot of people would find absolutely absurd, but I don't because that's literally the only appliance that I use in the kitchen aside from my coffee pot. Other than that, you won't find me in here except for right now when I'm recording. Um, but yeah, so it's a smart toaster. I'm obsessed with it. It's so cute. It's so sleek. It's probably the only expensive appliance I own. Um, just cause I don't adult and I just, you know, eat toast and then move on with my day. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I guess for a little bit. Oh, actually I need to give you guys an update because I was asked about this. The mice, <laughs> the mice situation. So basically I'm still under attack, still being held hostage, still still under siege. They have not ceased fired. Honestly, they're just bringing in more reinforcements and I am just trapped in here. I don't go in my kitchen past like eight o'clock at night. Like I'm like, oh, nope, sun's down. Can't go in there. They've, they've taken over. I can only have it during the day. And there's just, honestly, there's no end in sight. And I... I've just accepted that I have unwarranted roommates that don't pay rent and freeload off of me. And I also learned that we have rats, which makes me want to die. Honest to God, I, I just want to die because I there's nothing more terrifying to me than a rat. A mouse is up there, but like a rat, a rat. And I'm on the fifth. I'm on the fifth floor. We don't even have a fifth floor. I'm high up off the ground. So the rats would never come up to my apartment but i have to bring my trash out where the rats are and i'm like oh no 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 so no no so sometimes i just have this like i have to literally mentally hype myself up to live here so stay tuned on the living situation because i don't know what's gonna happen but the mice the mice have not gone away they're not better they're not they're not you know being good roommates so yeah that's where we are with the mice Okay, so, ooh, oh my god, I just bonged my knee. Now that that's all out of the way, so let's jump into today's case. So I recently, um, probably at the end of February, February 15th, I went to New Orleans with my best friend Leah. We did a girls trip, and honestly, New Orleans was never really on my list to go visit. It just kind of like Leah and I wanted to do a trip and she was like oh we should do NOLA and I was like oh okay because I what you guys will learn is I'm very like I don't care where I'm going as long as I'm going like I have have plane ticket we'll travel like doesn't matter where it's to I will happily hop on and find my way so we went there and we had a blast and I talk a little bit about it in one of my YouTube videos I just posted but Um, I definitely want to do an episode on one of the things that happened to us or actually like, I guess like it was the entire time that we were there, but there was like two really scary events that happened and I'll just talk about that in another episode, but we did have such a blast. Like it was so fun. I would really, if you wanted to do a girl's trip, look into that, but I would definitely go with more than two people. Um, but so this case today does take place in New Orleans And when people think of New Orleans, one of those first things that come to mind, especially for me, is Mardi Gras. Um, I went down during Mardi Gras. It was so fun. But then after that, people think about Hurricane Katrina. And I remember I really, like, I remember where I was when I first learned about New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. 
basically like all of that stuff i was at the nail salon at powerhouse gym in plymouth mass and i was probably i was nine i think yeah i was nine years old and it was the first time i'd heard the words death toll like that's when i really heard what that statement was what that sentence was what that means what new orleans was because it was playing in the nail salon everybody was talking about it and what people don't know or what most people don't know is that within hurricane katrina there was another tragedy that took place and i don't you know like i said i'm waving the flag of caution before we jump into today's case because there is suicide there is mental health this is a very hard case and i might do a lighter one next week for you guys just because of this so at approximately 8.30 p.m. on October 17, 2006, police received a call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel in New Orleans. A guest had notified the front desk of a man's body that was lying face down after hearing a loud thud. Police were notified that someone had jumped from the hotel and landed on top of the parking garage seven stories below. When police arrived to the scene, they identified the victim as 28-year-old Zach Bowen. He was determined dead on impact, and then in the front pocket of Zach's pants, police actually found a plastic bag um, containing a note, army dog tags, and a key. The front of the note said, for police only, and then in the note, it said, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one that I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, on the stove, in the oven, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a fully signed confession. Signed by myself. The keys in my front right pocket are for the gates. Call call Leo Watermeyer to let you in. And it was signed by Zach Bowen. So this is when police are like, okay... This is about to be way bigger than what we have here currently and what we thought this was. Um, So according to Zach's friends, Zach left that night with a bag of cocaine worth about $20. I don't know if that's a lot of cocaine. I don't dabble in that. So if he, I don't know if that's a lot, but that like it made it seem like it was a lot. Um, and then according to the hotel security tapes, Zach went to the rooftop of the Omni hotel around 4 PM. He started drinking all the way until about 8 30 PM. So he was definitely pretty mangled because he'd opened up a tab and security footage showed him pacing back and forth over to the pool and then back into the bar at exactly 8 30. Zach walks up to the railing and launches himself over the side of the hotel. So, Jumping back, Zach Bowen was born on May 15th, 1978. He was born to Zach and Lori Bowen, and they raised Zach and his older brother, Jed, pretty nomadic to start. So they had a Volkswagen bus, and they would bring them all around the country, and they would camp out at different places, but ended up settling down in Ojai, California for a while. Um, But then they ended up moving to Whidbey Island in Washington. Lori and Zach had an on-again, off-again marriage, but like not in the sense of like they would break up and then get back together in the sense of they would have periods of fighting a lot and then not and then loving each other and then fighting extremely and then then be good when they moved to whidbey island zach 
um, like Dad Zach, not Kid Zach, was staying out all night drinking and partying and honestly doing God knows what. And he wasn't really being a good dad because he was leaving Lori home alone with the kids all the time, leaving it on her to be responsible for the kids, get them ready for school, take care of them, things like that. So Lori left Zach in 1990 and she moved with the boys to Santa Maria, California. In school, teachers did say that they either loved Zach, lol Zach, or they hated Zach. There was not an in-between, which same because shout out Mr. Steele for literally writing me up every single day in eighth grade, literally every single day, every single day, this man was out to get me. And then shout out Miss Kennett for actually nominating me to be Massachusetts student of the year, literally every year. So I was either loved or hated. So Zach, I can totally relate. Um, but Zach was actually really popular, but also very shy. So he could be outgoing if he knew you and he could be goofy, but he was really into metal and grunge music. Um, and one of his biggest disappointments, and it might be kind of strange to some of us, but to him, it was a really, really, really big deal. And it was him losing homecoming King. So he was on the court. He was absolutely devastated because he was on the court he had to give a speech and he tried to make it funny and fun because all the other guys on the court took it seriously. They dressed up preppy, probably wore Sperry's and (laughs) red flag, but Zach wore a black cape for his speech. Um, And then all the other guys talked about their plans either after high school or what they plan to do in college. But for his speech, Zach got up there and was like, yeah, there should be a mandatory two hour nap period during school every single day, which like, yes, thank you i agree someone had to stand up and say it um i actually don't know why zach didn't win because that would have immediately had my vote and i don't really give a fuck what jason who's going to umass is going to be doing later in life i just don't i just that 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 doesn't resonate with me as a 17 year old but like okay so when he didn't win everyone treated him and basically told him that he messed up and that's why he didn't win because he made it a joke and he made it funny and it wasn't supposed to be it was supposed to be serious but that was his whole skit like the whole purpose of it it was supposed to be funny but he took all those comments and those reactions that people gave him to heart um so he was very insecure in high school he was also really tall and lanky he was six foot ten so i'll post a photo so you can see him um but even though and like me included like oh my god tall guys yeah in high school when you're going through that awkward phase it's not really you don't really want to be tall because you you really don't want all eyes on you in high school um but later in life like that's great so zach was really insecure in high school um his confidence had definitely taken a hit after that homecoming court loss um but Again, like though the homecoming king thing might not have been a big deal to us, this is the first thing that really stands out is when Zach started to acknowledge all of these failures, is what he called them, Um, which is sad because Zach throughout his life ends up blaming himself for all of these failures in his life. He beats himself up for it, and this is just when his confidence absolutely tanks. And then after that loss, it started to really show in his schoolwork with his grade slipping because he'd been a good student prior to, you know, losing that. He'd been getting all A's. And then after this, he decided, yeah, I'm done with school. And he ended up dropping out and he went to live with his dad in Washington. And there were no known issues between him and his mom. It's just guessed that he just wanted to go somewhere new and start over with new people and kind of get away from where he'd grown up. 
But when he moves in with his dad, they decide to go on this wild cross-country road trip because his dad hasn't really adulted yet and is living that reckless, irresponsible lifestyle. And not saying rec- uh, not saying traveling is irresponsible. It's, it's not. But this guy had pretty much up and left his family and did not want to have any responsibilities. According to Zach's mom, Zach's dad was more of a best friend to Zach than a parent, which you always got to be both. You have to be a parent first um, or else, you know, things happen. So they went to all of these different places together and they ended up in New Orleans and this is where they decided to settle down. So Zach re-enrolled in high school and he stayed in touch with his mom, but he always told his mom that he was pretty unsure of the whole thing and basically was like, yeah, dad's not the move. Like this is way too wild for me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on here. Dad's like out of control. Um, but he stayed because he really did like New Orleans. He didn't end up finishing high school there, but he really loved New Orleans and he loved the people there and he loved the atmosphere. So now Zach's 18. And like I said, he's really tall. Um, he's lost all his baby fat and, you know, he's leaning out. And at 18, I feel like that's when guys start to like become a man and they, they grow into themselves and their features start to develop and they just, you know, they, they go through that phase of puberty or whatever. Um, and Zach ends up becoming very handsome and he starts going out on the town, getting girls, you know, that whole scene. So like I said, Zach's 18 and while he's out one night, he meets 28-year-old Lana Shupak. And Lana had previously worked as a stripper or an exotic dancer in Dallas and Houston prior to coming to NOLA. And she basically wanted to get away from that lifestyle. She was done doing that. But she was out on Bourbon Street with her friend one night, and they were there visiting. And she saw Zach handing out go cups. And a go cup is and i've had a few they're very nice um and this is something that if you're a mass person like we don't have those here we we just like our laws are so strict we don't even have happy hour um but it's essentially a roadie and then like that's what we call it in mass but i guess other places would call it a road soda or like alcohol to go so like in and out in a cup to go so that's what a to-go cup is and or a go cup and zach would basically hang out of a bar window on bourbon street and sell to go cups to the people on bourbon street and since he was this young hot guy the bar had basically chosen him to lean out the window and get girls to come over to the window um, and buy beer which great marketing move love that for us so at first lana's friend called dibs on zach but zach really liked lana so lana's friend was like "Eh, he's all yours which like love that girl gang so they hit it off immediately and they started to seriously date and lana was psyched because she really loved nola and now she had a reason to pretty much pack up her entire life in texas and move there and she wanted to get away from where she was originally and wanted to change jobs so this seemed like the perfect opportunity to do just that however early in their dating lana became pregnant with their first child jackson within the first few months of them dating And like I said, Lana was 28 years old and Zach was 18. Lana did not know that Zach was 18 years old and she basically had assumed that he was at least 21 because he was working at a bar in in the United States. You have to be 21 to drink alcohol. 
I don't know why she didn't ask, but like shit happens. It's not illegal. He's of age. They worked through it. It is what it is. When Lana told Zach that she was pregnant, he was mortified and terrified. And so he was now becoming a teenage dad and he said that he didn't want to do it and that he wasn't ready. And she pretty much was like, okay, well, I'm keeping this baby. So I don't know what to tell you. Like time to man up. But Lana said that when Jackson was born and Zach held him for the first time, a switch flipped and he immediately took to the role of dad. Um, She also said that he was an amazing dad and he became a better partner to her and told her that he wanted to be the best dad to their kids. Soon after this, the two of them got married and it was a huge ceremony in a church in NOLA, but then a bunch of tourists showed up and crashed the whole thing, which is just very upsetting. So they got married and Lana gave birth to their daughter, Lily. Zach again was ecstatic. He even went back and got his GED in 2000 because he wanted to be a better dad and basically do the best that he could. And he wanted to be a role model and have a degree for his kids and he wanted his kids to be proud of him. And this is when Zach decided to take a drastic move and said that he really wanted to give his kids and his wife a really good life. So he enlisted in the U.S. Army. He basically did this because he was like, okay, well, if I do this, I can get insurance. I can get good housing. I can get additional income with a family. We'll have security. Like, we'll be covered. It'll be fine. We'll be good. However, when Zach enlisted in the army in 2000, he was enlisting when there was no war that was going on. But in 2001, 9-11 happened. And Zach was deployed for a tour in Kosovo and a second tour in Baghdad. In my own personal opinion, I am not a medical professional, but in my own personal opinion, I think that this is a case where Zach has severe, undiagnosed, untreated PTSD. With what happens in this case, with the events that lead up to what happens, with the catastrophe that he lives through and what I'm going to go into, I think that this case, he definitely has undiagnosed, untreated PTSD. And that to me is so heartbreaking And I would love to go off right now into the depths of the issues in this country about treating veterans and how we treat people that come home from overseas. I'm a big military girl. I always will be. I I just praise anybody who is willing to put their life on the line to protect people here. But I won't dive into that. We can save that for another episode. So Zach's military service definitely changed him. And he was not at all the same person when he came home. Zach was extremely depressed, and it was evident that he was suffering from PTSD. While he, lo- while he was deployed, he lost several people who were very close to him, and that completely destroyed who he was. There was a young girl named Rachel who was 19 years old in his unit, and they became super close, absolute besties. His whole unit was actually very close with one another and was very close with Rachel. And she ended up getting killed in action. And Zach was there when it happened. And their entire unit took it really, really, really hard. 
So she was also one of the first women to be killed on the front lines. Then, on top of that, there was another time where Zach gave a little Iraqi girl who was playing in the street some candy. And he found out the next day that she had been killed for interacting with Americans, which is just absolutely devastating. Like, I cannot even imagine. It's just, it's insanely heartbreaking, the things that happen overseas. And he took that as his fault. So he, again, blamed himself for that that happened. He blamed himself for Rachel's death. And then, on top of that, as if it couldn't get any worse, there was another little Iraqi boy named Rashid. And he would bring Zach's unit Cokes. Sorry, I'm like choking. Cokes and drinks from another, from his family's store. And in return, Zach taught this little boy English. And Zach really took to this kid and bonded with him and would see him every day. And one day, insurgents came in and blew up the entire store and the entire family was killed. And he took that as his fault too. And there's no evidence to say that they blew up that store because, you know, the kid was interacting with Americans. There's no, there's nothing that says that. Like I, sometimes things just happen over there. Um, but Zach took this as his fault. So he's experiencing all of these awful events overseas. And when, when what happens later came out, guys in his unit really defended him None of them said a bad thing about him. And they basically, to reporters, were like, don't you dare say anything bad about Zach Bowen. He would never, he was not a bad person. He would never do something like this. And they really could not believe that Zach was capable of doing what he did later in life because it was so out of character for the person that they knew and loved in that unit. So at this point, in the military, Zach was failing all of his physical tests basically over and over and over purposely because he was like, I'm done. I want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. This is horrible. And he ended up getting sent home and he left with a general discharge. General discharge. So this is, this is not the same as an honorable discharge. It's honorable, but it's not an honorable discharge. But Zach was not happy about that. Basically, a general discharge means your service was satisfactory, but it does not deserve the highest performance or recognition. He was so confused and pissed off because you usually only get this when there's been punishment or, you know, you've gotten in trouble or you've done something that goes against military guidelines, but nothing like that happened. So he had no idea why he was getting a general discharge and not a honorable discharge if there's anybody in the military who knows that maybe it's the fact that he was purposely failing his physical tests and they knew that um you can just either dm me on instagram or send me an email just to correct that because i don't i don't really know the ins and outs of the military actually i could ask my brother hold on let me text him okay i just asked him so we'll wait for his response um but until then so when zach got home lana was pissed so she felt betrayed because she because basically zach came home and was like i'm going to work in a bar again and you're going to go back to stripping and she was like well what the fuck that is literally not what we agreed on and now you're just saying fuck it to the military to what's basically making and giving us a better life and telling me that i need to go back and do something that i don't want to do and this is when she and zach separated 
So they were already fighting and having a lot of issues prior to this. So it wasn't really just this like one thing like Zach came home was like, okay, you're going to go do this and I'm going to do this. But there was a lot of things that were happening that led them to this, but they separated, but they did stay in New Orleans. In 2005, Zach began working in a bar in the French Quarter called the Hogs Bar. So he was very popular with the girls, either those working there or those who came in for a drink or 1900 drinks, hashtag guilty. But there was one bartender, though, who could not be less interested in Zach. Her name was Adrienne Addie Hall. She was 29 years old from Durham, North Carolina, and she lived a very free-spirited lifestyle. She was a poet, an artist, a bartender, a seamstress, pretty much just a bunch of different jobs, but she lived a very bohemian lifestyle, just bopping around New Orleans, doing her thing, living carefree, like just having a whole ass vibe. But though she was vibey and carefree and free-spirited, she had a very dark side to her that she did not show people right off the jump. Before she came to New Orleans, she found her first apartment. Or wait, what am I saying? Before her first apartment in New Orleans, she lived in her car and then she lived with her playwright friend in an apartment. And that friend said, quote, she was so smart. It just killed me. Her poetry was very, very good. And when it came to sewing, she could make anything from anything. So Addie sounds like the it girl. She's just living life. She's having so much fun. She's just doing what she wants. Um, But then in 2003, Addie's dark side got very, very bad. Addie was a very big drinker, like very, like really, really big. And it would get really bad when she drank. When she got drunk, she would get extremely abusive and she'd find your insecurities and she would dig right into them. And that's what she was known for. You didn't have to tell her your insecurities. You didn't have to tell her what you were not confident about. She would find that. And when she got drunk, she would make you known or make sure that you were aware of that. She did have a lot of friends um, and she did know a ton of people around Nola, but they all knew how Addie got when she drank and how dark she got. And this, in 2003, is when people started distancing themselves from her. Um, But when she was sober, she was literally a gem, but she was just a completely different person when she drank. I just said that, like, unga gems, unga gems. In 2003, this is when she started getting into bar fights, and she started doing cocaine and having coke rages on top of getting incoherently drunk, and she was just completely out of control. She was a revolving door of roommates because they couldn't handle the behavior. And she also started hanging out with a lot of Coke dealers. She even tried to rob a Coke dealer at one point with her roommate, but her roommate was like, um, no, 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 thank you. And then she started getting into relationships with abusive men and screwing her friends over. So she was just on this horrible path. And though she was a great person sober, she had this whole life that was just no bueno, not good, not leading to anything good. And then comes 2005 and Addie meets Zach. She thought that Zach was a frat boy. She thought he was goofy, but like she was totally like, this guy is not my type. I am not into it. I don't want anything to do with him. And she ignored Zach pretty much the entire time while they worked together. But Zach being the typical guy that he is was like, wait, (laughs) she doesn't like me then I must go after her. 
And so he said that he was immediately attracted to her and really liked her. He thought that she was fun and outgoing and smart and artsy and colorful and basically just the cocktail of New Orleans. So Zach was working the 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift at the bar, and this was a great shift because he was making bank, and this was one of the favorites in New Orleans for those who were awake in the middle of the night. So like bartenders, dancers, you know, people that worked on Bourbon Street, like that crowd was who was coming to Zach's bar, and they loved Zach. So Zach was making great money, and then Addie worked the shift directly after Zach, so like the 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. shift. So Zach would work his entire shift and then sit at the bar and hang out with her because he wanted to get to know her. And finally, she's like, okay, you're kind of cute. And you're hanging out with me while I work. And then they started to date. So they're dating. It's a whimsical romance. Everyone knows them as the couple who's vibing in New Orleans. And they think that they're so cute and they're happy and this like carefree, free-spirited couple. And then hurricane katrina hits new orleans which i went to the hurricane the hurricane katrina museum in new orleans and i left with bloodshot eyes i sobbed my way through the entire thing i did not have an ounce of mascara left on my face i didn't even have raccoon eyes that's how hard i was crying um it was honestly it was heartbroken and like i said like i was little when it happened so I watched it on TV, but I didn't really comprehend what was happening. And going through that museum and seeing, oh gosh, it was so hard. Um, so that's a whole other tragedy of its own. Basically, 1,800 people died in Hurricane Katrina, um, just from a stats perspective, so you can see how bad it was. And there's still so much damage from it. Like we took a tour and they showed us places that still haven't recovered, buildings that are still you know dismantled and dismembered and it's just heartbreaking it's so sad and so during this time the city was told to evacuate because of how bad the hurricane was but zach and Addie were like nope we're not leaving and they wanted to stay through the storm in the city but lana zach's ex-wife wanted zach to come with her and the kids and she even told Addie that she could come too but she basically just wanted her family together outside of the city and safe somewhere else. Lana said that Zach was very callous on the phone, basically refusing to come with her and his kids. So he was evidently choosing the immature, like, I'm staying behind with my new girlfriend. We're going to vibe through this. We're going to be fine. You'll be fine. Stop calling me. And Lana was like, oh, (laughs) okay. I think you have a family, but okay. Once the storm passed, there were still no supplies. And that's like, I don't even want to get into that, but okay. Anyways, we won't get into that. Basically, the government did not help with the recovery of like Hurricane Katrina. There was no power. There was no running water. There was no electricity. There was no food. And it was pretty ghostly because everybody had evacuated. And the only people that stayed behind were a few stragglers similar to Zach and Addie. And it became pretty survivalist living and scavenging. But these two loved it they thrived in that they became pretty well known and banded together with other survivalists and they lit mattresses on fire at night for warmth where they'd huddle around it with this group of people and they'd use it to cook food and they also had um they made a makeshift bar and restaurant outside of zach and addy's apartment using basically anything that they could find in restaurants and bars um and they played bartender with everyone because they went to all these bars and they stole 
all the alcohol because everything was abandoned. So it was pretty lawless. Um, and it became this little post-hurricane community. And there's a lot of pictures of Addie and Zach because local newspapers were enthralled by this entire thing. And they essentially became like the king and queen of this little commune. And newspapers started referring to these people that stayed behind as tribes. They would also, like during the day, Addie and Zach and their commune of people would go out. They'd clean up the streets. They wanted to help get the city back in order. They wanted, you know, to help search and rescue and find people. But, but at the same time, they were also stealing from local bars and restaurants and grocery stores and other shops, but they were making front page news for that. But like all press is good press. So like they did not care. <laughs> so from what people said, these two seemed to embrace this new way of life. And they then started to proclaim that they were the true New Orleanians because they stayed behind when everyone else left, which like, ah, no, it was just like a natural disaster and thousands of people died and for their safety, everyone needed to evacuate and y'all aren't even from NOLA. So like, I don't know you can claim that. Addie and Zach also became extremely close during this time. They really bonded and fell in love pretty much because they had to. Um, They would ride around holding hands on their bikes, always hugging, always kissing, and everyone saw them as this free-spirited lovebirds. Like, they were literally having sex in the middle of the street. Like, they just gave no fucks. We're in love. We're happy. We're vibing. We're doing our thing where we want to do our thing, which, like, okay, rock on, but also, like, whoa, (laughs) like, wow, that is, that is passionate. Um, it's also completely lawless in this point in NOLA because there's there's no one there. There's no help from the government. There There is police presence, but it's pretty scarce. Um, and Addie was even nearly raped at one point when she went into an abandoned grocery store to grab some supplies. And there was this guy in there hiding. So that's how dangerous it had gotten this time. Like it was heavily advised not to go out and not go into the area. The newspapers also said that Addie was very good at keeping police coming to their home to help and make sure that everything was okay and that there was patrol there. Um, And this is a direct quote from the New York Times, quote, in the French Quarter, Addie Hall and Zach Bowen found an unusual way to make sure the police officers regularly patrolled their house. Miss Hall, 29, a bartender, flashed her breasts at the police vehicles who passed by, ensuring a regular flow of traffic, quote hashtag mardi gras and relatable <laughs> i'm just kidding I, you actually don't have to do that when you go there just but just psa you do not have to do that people will just chuck beads at you and and give you all the attention in the world you don't have to do that so with how bad it was outside of their little commune which it was really bad like i said they had the government had brought in the 82nd airborne division of the army um, from Fort Bragg to help with the aftermath of the hurricane and peacekeeping and search and rescue and all of that that happens after a natural disaster. However, this was Zach's watching all of this happen from his balcony. And this was extremely triggering for Zach and his PTSD. Like it now looked like a war scene. There were tanks brought in. There were search and rescues happening. There were missions, all of it. It literally felt like Zach was back over in the Middle East. And this sends Zach into a complete spiral. 
He starts having flashbacks and episodes. And remember, his PTSD is undiagnosed. He was also using drugs and drinking at this time. And they were living that hard, fast lifestyle. So he's he's literally doing that all day long. Um, he was heavily drinking. He was doing a lot of coke. And every photo of them, I'll post them on Instagram. But every photo, they have some sort of substance in that photo whether it's alcohol or drugs so he's using even more now to drown out the episodes and the ptsd but all it's doing is amplifying it and making it worse it was also known that Addie was diagnosed with bipolar disorder but the hurricane really jacked up getting her getting her medication so she was unmedicated at this time so now you have two people here with mental illness that are not being treated they're not being monitored and there's really no way to treat them and no way to help them unless they get evacuated which they don't want to do so this is this is just a colossal sad nightmare so the new orleans mayor demanded quote the compel evacuation of all persons from the city of new orleans regardless of such persons regardless if such persons are on private property or have no desire to leave so basically they're really just saying like they're trying to get people to move out and he's trying to make it clear like i don't care if you're in your house i don't care where you are you need to get out of the city we are trying to clean up this place we are trying to fix this place we are trying to get some order and get our city back and we can't do that with all of these people just running amok but zaddy and (laughs) zaddy but zaddy but addy and zach refused to leave they're pissed and they said that they had a right to stay and that by being kicked out it was taking away their rights and they held out which worked because a week later everyone who had evacuated started trickling back to their homes and this is when Addie and Zach really honed in on the fact that they were superior to all of these people because they had stayed during all of the disaster while everyone else left they also got very territorial about territorial about what they gave up and one of their friends said quote They liked camping out. They liked not having to work. They liked not having the responsibility of paying bills. They didn't like the change of back to normalcy. So they did really well being in love in this survivalist lifestyle. But when they went back to quote normal, they started fighting again. On top of that, they had to rebuild what they had with everyone else. So it's not like they were restoring their things while everyone else was gone. So at the same time, they at everyone else was rebuilding their life. Zach and Addie also had to rebuild their life. So now they're living in this com- this compound style um, apartment with a big group of people and their love story is just completely falling apart. And people in that apartment said that they'd talk about their love story all the time and act like it was much more romantic than it was. Um, however, friends did say that these two were in love and that Zach looked at Addie like she was the only woman on earth. He also told his mom that Addie was his soulmate and like things, the way that things were going prior to moving back in played out that these two were going to have a happy ending. Okay, my brother responded. So my brother's a Marine. That's why I was asking him because he's in the military. And he said, I basically explained the whole thing. And he said, he may have been injured in a way where the military has no more use for him. So they didn't need him anymore. You get a general discharge under, quote, honorable conditions. So that could have been why. Um, So maybe it had to do with him purposely failing his PT tests and then them being like, oh, he must be injured. We don't have, you know, we can't use him anymore, which is kind of crummy. So there's that. 
Um, so anyways, life is returning to normal or as much as it can um, after this horrible natural disaster and this whimsical carefree life is just starting to slip away from these guys. We also can't forget that Zach abandoned the mother of his children and his children during this entire thing. She hasn't sent she hasn't sent or received any messages from Zach. She hasn't received any money. He stopped paying child support. Lana thought that he was dead. And when the kids asked where she was, she told them that he was a hero and was helping people to get out of the storm and that he's working for the Red Cross. So Lana held that high standing character for the kids, for their dad, because she didn't want to tell them what actually happened, which good on her. That's a good mom. Uh, when they got back in touch and she learns that he's alive, Zach decides that he wants to see his kids. Um, but she also wants to meet Addie since Addie's going to be around the kids. And at first, Zach was like, absolutely not. So Lana was like, mm, okay, then you don't see them. But then Zach went to Addie and told her, hey, like my ex wants to meet you before you can meet my kids. And Addie was absolutely ecstatic. She ran out. She bought clothing for Jackson and Lily and toys. And she was so excited for them to come over. You would think this girl is literally ready to be like mom of the year. But Addie absolutely sucked at the stepmom thing. Horrible. She refused to speak to Lana. Um, refused, did not ever want to talk to her. And Lana didn't understand why, because Lana was basically like, look, kid, I could have that guy back and wrapped around my finger in a heartbeat if I wanted to, but I do not want him. So he's all yours. Have at it. I'm just trying to get my kids to see their dad. But Addie didn't care. She wanted nothing to do with Lana. She was also awful with Zach's kids overall. The kids said that when they'd go visit their dad and Addie, Addie wouldn't even acknowledge them and wouldn't talk to them. The kids said that they didn't think that she liked them. And they're only five and seven. Like, that's so little. They also said that she would go out to bars all night and come home extremely drunk and then lock them out of the bedroom all night where she and Zach were sleeping and where they'd sleep. Addie turned and said, when the kids come over, you have to go to a hotel with them. You cannot stay here. Which, like, what the fuck, Addie? That's Zach's house, too and he has children. Um, so things were just really weird. She was not nice in this situation. She was, she wanted nothing to do with that situation. She didn't even want Zach to have anything to do with that situation. By 2006, Addie and Zach were heavily partying. They were doing so many drugs. They were drinking a ton and they were getting in really, really bad fights with each other. Addie was physically and verbally abusive. Um, Zach would turn and be verbal back there was no evidence that Zach was physically abusive, but there was one time where they woke up after a really bad blackout fight and Addie had bruises on her arms, but no one really knows, you know, what happened. Like he could have been pushing her off of him or he could have done something. So like, they just don't know what happened. Friends said that it was getting really bad, basically kicking each other out of the apartment regularly, breaking up, moving out, then moving back in together. People thought that they enjoyed this and that they needed the chaos and the toxic fighting in order to keep that spark alive for the two of them. In August of 2006, Addie was arrested after one of their fights. She left their apartment with a handgun and pointed it at some random man on the street, which like that poor guy being absolutely traumatized for no reason, just walking down the street and having some random girl point a gun at you. So she got arrested and Zach refused to post her bail. 
So her friends had to scrape together some money for her to get out. So it's like really bad at this situation. They want nothing to do with each other. Zach was constantly moving out of Addie's and into friends and then back again. Then came a point where Zach started to look elsewhere for companionship. Um, and he started having a relationship with another man. I just want to preface. Everything that's happened in this case is no excuse for what happens later. I get that. People can be really bad, but they do not deserve to be murdered. I'm just going to say that. I don't want that to come across as like, that's how I'm positioning this. I'm just, it's important to see everything because this relationship was so volatile and so toxic and was so bad and mix that with, again, mental health and mental health that's not being treated appropriately It's just heartbreaking across the board. So it's unclear of Zach and Addie's situation at this time, but it's assumed that they were together because Addie gets livid. She's pissed. And this is when Zach's starting to understand that he's bisexual, but he's not comfy with it yet. So he doesn't, it's on the DL. He doesn't want to come out and tell people. He wants to keep it private. But Addie finds out. She goes absolutely rip shit. She's making public scenes. She's calling him homophobic slurs. She's calling him the F word. Um, And she then takes his phone and she calls every woman in his contacts and told them that Zach had AIDS, which is not true. He did not have AIDS. At this point, Addie is extremely unwell. She was kicked out of her apartment, so she had nowhere to live. Friends had seen her using quarters to buy groceries, which is sad. Um, So she desperately needs money and she needs a place to live. And she's pissed at Zach, but she convinces Zach to pay for an apartment for them. She convinces him to do this and she's like, let's work it out. Let's be together. Let's have a clean slate. Let's start over. I love you. You love me. Like we can make it work. I'll be a better person, Um, but you have to pay for it. Zach's working tons of jobs right now because he's also paying Lana back for all of the missed child support as well as the current child support that's needed, but he agrees because he loves her. So this is the apartment on North Rampart Street. I just got a chill, like my whole body just went cold. So they signed the lease together, but days later on October 4th, Addie went to the landlord and had the lease transferred to her name. Then she went and kicked Zach out after he had paid two months rent ahead of time, which is not okay. And I get it. He cheated on you and it sucks, but do not be that girl. Pick your head up and walk away and hold yourself high. And honestly, take it from somebody who has literally had their heart ripped out of their chest by somebody that they love. Like this type of stuff, like you, like nothing you can do will make this better. When you are so hurt and so sad and the person that you love breaks your heart and ruins your trust, like nothing you can do will make it better. And so by doing this revenge type stuff, like trying to get back at them, it doesn't make it any better. It actually just makes it messy Bessie and we don't, we don't want to deal with that. So just out there, just always keep that in mind. Just walk away. So Zach was really, really upset, obviously, because now he's homeless He has no money anymore 
and he was taking the kids that weekend so he was extremely upset because he had nowhere to bring them and he just wanted to see his kids lana's father said that when it came to being a dad zach put in the time and he was a great dad which i mean other than the fact that he abandoned them during the hurricane but like we just won't talk about that um he said that the kids definitely grounded him and so now you're adding in this shit show on top of all of the other things that have happened they fought for hours this night and i mean hours and hours and hours of fighting screaming at each other horrible fighting and it ended with zach strangling Addie to death and this was shocking for everyone to hear because he had never really done anything that indicated that he was violent um, and she was always known as the violent one in their relationship. Friends said that there had never been any evidence that Zach was abusive or violent or capable of something like this. Like he was quiet and shy and goofy and really only outspoken around people that he was comfortable with. And he loved Addie. So people were like, this is just so hard to believe that he did something like that on top of what's going to come later. So once police, now we're jumping back to when police found Zach's body. Once police found Zach's body, they found the note and they went to the apartment. So it was a second floor apartment. And when police opened the door and walked in, it was absolutely horrendous. It was a mess. It was horrifying. There was trash everywhere, all over the floor. There were cigarette butts everywhere, beer cans, alcohol bottles, shattered glass. The air conditioner was blasting. So police referred to it as a meat freezer, the reason that it was kept at that temperature. And the walls were covered in black spray paint with messages like, call Lana Bowen, I loved her, I'm a total failure, total failure, help me stop the pain. Lana's phone number was on the wall. The bathroom said, I'm sorry I couldn't finish. And then one said, look in the oven. So the walls and what was spray painted on the walls clearly showed a mental decline and honestly, just overall heartbreaking things to read because you're reading somebody's mind and the thoughts that they're having. So police look in the oven, which on the front of the oven was spray painted, don't look. But in the oven, in a tinfoil lined pan was a set of charred feet and legs. On the stove, in a pot, was a set of hands, and in another pot was a woman's severed head. A torso was found in a garbage bag in the freezer, and they found an eight-page confession written in Addie's journal. This is fucked, but the New York Post at the time put a headline out that said, Gal Pal Gumbo, which is just disgusting and awful and i don't know whoever thinks that things like that are okay to publish like you as a person to put that out there about somebody else you are a horrible 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 person and i cannot imagine the fact that you exist it bothers me so one of those journal entries said quote she had stolen this apartment tried to kick me out then would not shut the fuck up so i very calmly strangled her it was very quick after sexually defiling the body a few times i was posed with the question of how to dispose of the corpse quote before zach cut her up he left her body in the living room went to bed woke up and went to work he then moved her body into their bed for the day and he told one of one of their friends at work that he and addie had broken up and that she had left he then hung out with his friends 
did his thing and that always scares me that there's people out there that are capable of doing things like this like murdering somebody and then just like going about their day like nothing happened like it was literally part of their like morning routine and they're just like okay and like now to work like that to me is so scary that's one of the things that really bothers me is like you don't know who you're walking amongst because i can't even wrap my mind around it so zach came home when he was done with his day He dragged her body to the bathtub and began dismembering her using a knife and a hacksaw, which is completely barbaric. In his confession, he wrote, quote, I came home, moved the body to the tub. I got a saw and hacked off her feet, hands and head. I put her head in the oven after giving it an awful haircut, put her hands and feet in the water on the range. Then he said he got tired, then he got drunker, and then he turned off the stove at some point, filled the tub with water and passed out. There was no evidence of cannibalism either in this case. I think it was literally just the fact that he was trying to get rid of the body. Then he mentions how he was off that weekend, so he had some time to figure out this whole thing and how he'd get rid of the body, but he wrote, quote, Due to laziness, I spent most of that time coked up at different bars with various girls. Quote, Imagine being those girls. Like, uh, no, 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 no. So he's just living in the apartment with this dismembered corpse literally scattered amongst him, like sometimes tending to it, sometimes pulling it apart, sometimes defiling it, sometimes cooking it, like then just like going about his day. And in case anyone doesn't know, flesh smells awful, like horrible, like horribly awful. It's awful. And he's cooking flesh, which makes it smell much worse. And he's living amongst this in his apartment. Like this, this is like happening over the course of a week. And he then calls Lana and he has her bring the kids to his work at the grocery store. And she said that he was happy and very, in a very good mood. (sighs) Grab all the candy you want on me, like get whatever you want, guys. He then gave Lana $600 in child support and asked to have the kids um, for the following weekend at the apartment. And she's like, oh, of course. So he's like trying to live this like perfect life right now, like live things out. He writes, quote, Sunday night, I sawed off the rest of the legs and arms and put them in a roasting pan, stuck them in the oven and passed out. I came to seven hours later with an awful smell emanating from the kitchen. I turned off the oven and went to work Monday. This would be the last day of work. One of his neighbors, John, remembers seeing the bathroom light on the night of the murder. And he said that he had a really weird feeling and he couldn't stop thinking about that light. And just like he kept waking up and looking at it and being like, that bathroom light is still on. Like, that's so weird. John had actually lived in the apartment where Addie had been murdered, but had moved out because he got really bad vibes from it. Like he just felt bad energy there. He felt like he wasn't himself. He felt just something was very off. Um, He actually said that he had a priest come bless it before he moved out and Zach and Addie moved in, which is really scary to me. He said that he lived in a few more units in that building, but he never felt okay. So he moved into a small unit in the back building, and that's where he was currently living. The night of the murder... Sorry, I should probably stop recording episodes on Friday mornings at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's just how my schedule works. <laughs> um, the night of the murder, he saw the bathroom light, 
but then he thought he saw someone standing on his balcony staring in at him but when he went outside there was no one there and he also felt like he was seeing shadow figures and he got so freaked out and he called a friend to come over that night because he was like dude something's something's weird i don't want to be by myself now this apartment zach and Addie's, sits on a very well-known very famous landmark and that landmark is the famous voodoo spiritual temple that is run by priestess miriam shamani she's very well known and she's very well liked within the voodoo community and okay i went to the voodoo museum in new orleans and we got so freaked out that we left and it was like i i'm not I don't know how to explain this because I don't want to be wrong in how I explain this. I am not a, I don't know how to explain this. I'm not a spirit, like I believe in God, but I'm not a spiritual person. And I, you know, believe in ghosts. Like obviously I think you guys know when I went into this museum, I felt something that I have not felt like I was scared and i was reading things and i was just like some something's off i feel it something's off and i turned to my friend leah and i was like i think i'm good and she goes yeah me too and she was like i feel it and i was like i feel it and like that's my own personal experience i was scared we were scared we ended up leaving and stopped reading things and like we didn't touch anything because I don't know it I don't know maybe that's controversial and people are gonna be like Kelsey that's so mean like I just that's my own personal experience I'm also petrified of like ghosts and spirits and things like that so I also could have been psyching myself up but I I'm telling you I felt an energy and I I never say that like I'm not an energy type person but I felt something so people took this and ran with it they said like newspapers and news stations said that zach was under demonic spells and that it was the voodoo that made him do this and like okay maybe but also we have a volatile relationship between two people with psychological issues that are not being treated or tended to and this was just there were one too many fights and it hit a nerve of zach so that sunday john and his friend were outside the apartments and they were having dinner and his friend was like what is that smell and his friend is a doctor and john was like i don't know this city has a lot of smells it's a smelly smelly city city of smells and his friend was like no i know that smell i know what that smell is like i'm a doctor and i know what that is but they were both like we're not getting involved with whatever is happening we do not want to get involved So three days after killing her, Zach came home from work and had this appalling like, oh, ew, no, this is horrifying. There's a, there's a rotting corpse in my apartment. This is, this is awful moment. And like, so Zach wrote, quote, halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene that you are now in came after a while. I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I loved by one and a half years and then dismembering, desecrating her body, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known for forever how horrible of a person I am. Ask anyone. And decided to quit my jobs and spend the $1,500 in cash I had being happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and many loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that will explain the shock 
and I had a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. So he seems like he was in a manic, extreme place and then realized what happened and then was like, fuck it. (laughs) I'm just going to live it up. I don't care. And he went crazy at strip clubs. He was spending tons of money. He did tons of coke. He drank himself into incoherency. He slept with tons of women. He partied it up. He even drunkenly called Lana at one point and said, I want to see my favorite stripper. Let's have a drink. And she's like, um, ew, no, you're disrespectful. Absolutely not. So he got pissed and told her to fuck off. Um, so while Addie was still in the apartment for a week while he was out partying, just going buck wild, um, Sunday, he burned himself 28 times with a cigarette once for every year that he was alive. And then he wrote out everything that he perceived to fail in, to fail at in his final, um, diary entry. He wrote friends. He wrote quote, friends, jobs, military, marriage, love, every last one of these I failed at. And then he spray painted all the walls, partied for one last night, and then jumped off the Omni Hotel. New Orleans police detective Tom Morovich wrote, quote, in 10 years in law enforcement, I had never seen any scene that disturbing. Quote, I give a lot of police officers credit because you don't know what you're going to walk into and those type of things you cannot unsee. So... I cannot even begin to imagine how horrifying that is and how awful that is because there's photos that I've seen that are enough to make me sick to my stomach and I can't imagine actually like having to be in there. That is your job to handle that and deal with it. Like I, I just can't. Lana was informed of his death and when she heard that he died at the Omni pool deck, she said that he used to take her and the kids there and she felt that it was a personal way to hurt her, which I mean, yeah. The kids after this had tons of issues. Um, They were completely scared. They were terrified. They were heartbroken. They were sad. And one of their friends that they had lived with at one point and Addie had actually dated um, and Zach worked with at the grocery store said, quote, I was floored. It's just not something that is reachable. There are times when you can put yourself in someone else's shoes. And then there are some things that are so beyond our grasp of what we are capable of, of what or what we understand ourselves to be capable of. We cannot go to that length. That's what this is. It's surreally untouchable. It stays where it is. Quote. Friends said that they were shocked and horrified at this entire thing. They said Zach was level-headed and they couldn't even comprehend that this, all of it, could have happened. The apartment is also now part of the ghost tours of New Orleans, which I personally don't agree with, at least in this case. I would never go to something like that, just being honest. But again, like I'm also terrified of spirits if that makes sense. Like I've been to the Lizzie Borden house when I was little and I was absolutely shiting myself. Um, in 2016, paranormal lockdown locked themselves in the apartment for 72 hours and they got EVP that said, you are not alone and strangled to death, which, Oh, I just got chills. Um, and then this case has, Another weird connection to another dismemberment in New Orleans. 
Addie was best friends with a woman named Margaret Sanchez, who, along with her sex offender boyfriend, Terry Speaks, murdered a dancer named Jaron Lockhart and dismembered her body, which maybe I'll cover that next episode so you guys get a back-to-back of these cases and how they're linked, and that way you don't have to like wait for it. Um, and then maybe I'll give you two episodes next week. Maybe I'll give you the back-to-back, and I'll give you the Jaron Lockhart one and then I'll give you like the scary stories of New Orleans like the um, one I have for you and then we can keep it like New Orleans theme and then we can move away from the south and do some other things because like (laughs) I think after the I think after three in New Orleans you guys will be like oh okay maybe I'll cross it off my list um and I don't want you to do that I I want you to you know go to the places that you want to go to but so that is the story of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall, which is extremely sad. Um, and there were also sources that shared that Zach did try to talk to people about his mental health and his PTSD, um, but nobody really listened. And I'm not blaming them for any of this. Like, I'm not blaming anybody who didn't listen. It's just that we have this stigma against mental health that we really need to change and I think you know with PTSD people think well just get over it just go to therapy and just get over it or like just stop thinking about it and like that's not how it works and I just wish that we someday can move to a society where it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to talk about things and therapy becomes affordable and you know there's no wait list for it like there's just enough for everyone and it's you know yeah I don't know, this is a whole nother rant I'm sorry I'm just I'm very passionate about that topic but yeah so that's the story of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall so we're closing the iPad for today and yeah so I know that that one was really heavy it was it was a lot I actually didn't, I was doing some more research for it last night. I didn't sleep well. Oh my gosh. I've been up since four. I fell asleep at like midnight and then I woke up at four in the morning and I was like rolling around and I didn't even have a good sleep. I had that sleep where like you are like not asleep. You're like kind of awake. You're like not in REM. I was not in REM. And then at four in the morning, I was just like looking out my window, like watching the planes fly. And I was playing Wordle and reading the morning brew. Like I was just like, couldn't sleep. So that's pretty much it for today. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you download because that really does help me and make sure that you follow us on Instagram. You can find me at crime with a K. Um, We're on TikTok at crime with a K. And if you want to send us a Gmail or a case, you can either DM it to me. I think actually today I'm going to put on my story case suggestion and then keep that as like a running thing that people can add to because I really want you guys to submit some cases. And then if you want to send me a Gmail, you can email at um, crimewithak at gmail.com. But, okay. Happy Monday. I hope that you all have the best week. And I love you. Miss you already. See you next week. Okay. Bye.